throughout the year love having voices come into our community to share and to speak. And there are various uh, friends of the family, you might say, who we love and who we cherish their voice. And um, one of those individuals that you guys may know, maybe you haven't uh, known or met, is Dr. D. Stokes. Uh, she came and, and shared earlier in the beginning of the year and did a phenomenal job. And I know today the Lord will use her in a dramatic way. Uh, she has an incredible resume. She's coached Division One basketball, played basketball in college, has done leadership training, works with Fresh Expressions, serves on staff at a seminary, has written books, done all the things. But uh, I'm really excited that she is present with us today. And I'm looking forward to how God is going to use her. So if you can, I want you to give a warm Emmaus, loud welcome for Dr. D. Stokes. Good morning, Emmaus. How are you this morning? Come on, y'all know y'all got to wake up. You know I don't play with that, with that stuff. So I'm excited to be here, and I want to reintroduce myself. I am the healed of the Lord, Dr. D. Stokes. Y'all can't celebrate with me? Oh, that's pitiful. I said I'm the healed of the Lord. Listen, this past two years, you wouldn't have known it because I never stopped working. I never stopped pouring into people because I'm a pourer. I never stopped giving my time, my talent, my treasure. But for the past two years, my body has been in trouble. But thanks be to God that my last surgery was September 15th, last of five. And I'm here to talk to you. I'm here to preach to you. I'm here to proclaim the goodness of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I've been traveling every week since November. I am healed and I'm praising God. And I have a few problems, just a little bit. I had reconstructive surgery on my ureter, and they had to take a graft out of my mouth. But you know what? I have a few problems with the scar tissue in my mouth, but the devil will not shut my mouth. Because God has been too good to me. So no matter what you, I'm already preaching. So no matter what you go through in life, you got it. Come on, people of God. We just have to overcome because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Now, this ain't in my notes. So this is the Holy Ghost, you know. And, and God cannot shut your mouth because he's been too good to you. If he never blesses you again, again you've already been blessed too much. So I'm proclaiming the goodness of the Lord. Anybody, has he been good to you? If he's been good to you, then put your hands together and clap, shout, stand up, roll around, do something. Because God is too good for us to be quiet. See, Christians have been too quiet for, I don't know how long I got, but Christians have been too quiet for too long. That's why the world is in the shape that it's in. Come on, lights, go out. I don't care. The devil can't stop us. The church will go on. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And you are the church. I am the church. Not this building. Not on, just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, we have to be the church in the world. And so part of that is proclaiming the goodness of the Lord. 
You're not too shy. You're not too young. You're not too old, too big, too short, too tall. Whatever excuse you might have, get rid of it. Because God deserves all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor Spencer. Thank you, Pastor Jordan. She's in the back. Uh, I love these people. I love this church. I try to give as much as I can. Uh, Time, talent, treasure to Emmaus. Uh, If I wasn't uh, the teaching pastor and a member at Christ Wesleyan, I would be right here. But I had to go by, swing by my church this morning to do pre-service prayer. They act like they can't pray without me. I hope they don't watch this. They act, like, they act like they can't pray without me. So I'm double duty this morning, praise the Lord. But I'm hot. I had to take off my jacket because I'm hot. Uh, if you know any black people, we like to wear new stuff. So I got a new jacket. You know, I had to put it on today. But I got hot during worship, praise the Lord. If you turn with me to Matthew 1. Now, I was given some in, uh, specific instructions. I'm always stretched when I give get themes and things because I'm a Holy Ghost preacher. And so when you give me a topic, it stretches me. So I like that. It's okay. I was told to pick two kings. I picked three. I just don't do, I don't do instructions from man well. <laughs> I, uh, I, I felt the Lord telling me to talk about three kings today. So that's as a subject to you, that's my subject, we three kings. And so I'm going to compare and contrast some kings, and then I'm going to challenge you with some questions to think about your own life and and what we need to lay down today. Lay down. Let me start with, with this. As you're still turning, I hope you found Matthew, Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Um, this year, my theme has been living in the yet. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. He says, although everything dries up, yet will I rejoice. So my body has been going through stuff, yet I've been rejoicing all year. So next year, my theme for my ministry is, uh, has to do with two verses. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I'm God. And Joel 2, 25 says that he will restore the years, that all those nasty locusts have eaten up, those swarming and gnawing and, and, and nasty locusts. Read it for yourself. So I combined the two verses, and I believe 23 is the year that we should be so that God will restore. So the word be still, or the phrase be still, is actually the word Rapha, which means God our healer. And it means to let go of. (laughs) I'm going to ask you to let go of some stuff today. And be so that God can restore. So if you stand with me, you know, I like you to stand when I read. I forgot my glasses at home. I had to get these old ones out of the car. I hope I can see. I'm going to read a couple of passages. I'm going to read our theme passage, part of it. Matthew 1, 6b through 9a. And then I'm going to flip over to chapter 2 and read 13 through 18, which is actually my text this morning. So follow along with me. And David was the follower of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, 
and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. And if you skip over to chapter 2, verse 13, it reads, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, before you sit, Father, we love you. We give you honor, glory, and praise now. We thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We give you glory now, God. Do like only you can do in this room. Holy Spirit of God, infuse us, instruct us. Fill us and refill us by your power. And we pray this in the powerful, matchless, compassionate name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We three kings. I want you to see yourselves, if you can, in these kings, right? What would you have done differently what would you have done the same? See yourselves, we should see ourselves in scripture. Not always as the good guys, sometimes as the bad guys. Amen? So see yourselves in these kings. You can search for and find the story of Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12. 1 Kings 12. So his name means freer of the people. Interesting. He was the son of Solomon, who was the son of David, the son of Jesus. Well, I want to talk to you about three things he did or three, three, three thoughts about him. One was that he dominated, he was dominated by a false perspective. Two, he followed the wrong advice. And three, he did not put God first. Thank you for the pitiful little slides I made. One, I know you guys are visual people, so I did that for you. I don't normally do that. Okay. You're welcome. One, he was dominated by a false perspective. In his relationship with his subjects, he thought they existed for him and not the other way around. He surrounded himself with flatterers. Come on, see yourself now. With flatterers who would tell him what he wanted them to hear. Just like his father, their subjects were more like slaves. When the people appealed to Rehoboam, it fell on deaf ears. He missed his opportunity. He could have made it right by the people and upheld the meaning of his name, freer of the people. He followed the wrong advice. He had a multitude of counselors, young and old, if you know the story. At Shechem, then people asked um, for their burden to be lifted, and Rehoboam told them, wait three days while he consulted his counselors. 
Well, he consulted the old men who said, give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. And he consulted his young friends, second, who said, increase their, their burden. So he did. So in 1 Kings 12, 10b through 11, it says, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Again, he lost an opportunity for healing in the land and eventually lost the 10 tribes forever. Third, he did not put God first. He did not give his total heart and worship to God. He tried to please God and worship idols. You can't do that. You can't worship God and idols. You, God is not pleased if we worship idols, money, jobs, people, houses, cars. You name the idol, perhaps, that maybe you've worshiped in your life. His perfect descendant, Jesus, said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. In 2 Chronicles 12, 1, it tells us when the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him when he was strong. He ruined himself and his people and lost the best part of his kingdom. King Uzziah, you can read about him in 2 Chronicles 26 and in 2 Kings 15, 1 through 7. Rehoboam was a bad king from start to finish, but listen, Uzziah was a good king until he became strong. There's something about this strong thing. Huh, when we, when we depend on our own selves, right, and our own strength. Uzziah, there were three things that happened to him. He had prosperity that led to pride that led to punishment. So in his prosperity, Uzziah sought the Lord, and it appears that he listened to Zechariah, who was a witness Isaiah used who could understand visions, that Zechariah. And as long as he sought the Lord, he prospered. Now, to seek God meant to seek to please him by trusting and obeying him, one author says. Not by trusting in our own knowledge, our own smarts, our own merit, our own strength, or our own abilities. Remembered mostly, he was remembered mostly for the prosperity during his reign. Citizens were patriotic because of the many improvements in the city and divine blessing and favor of the Lord was upon Uzziah during his time of prosperity. Listen to what God did for him. God helped him war against the Philistines. He broke down the wall of Gath, one of five royal or chief cities of the Philistines in the native city of Goliath. And, uh, and Ashdod, a major Philistine city in the Mediterranean Sea west of Jerusalem. He built cities. God helped him against the Arabians and all kinds of people. Uh, the Ammonites brought tribute, gifts, offering, presents. In, in verse uh, 8b, the word strong means strengthen, prevail, harden, be courageous, be firm, be resolute. 
God did all of this for him. He built towers in Jerusalem and fortified them. He built towers in the, in the desert. He dug many wells. He had much livestock. On and on and on and on. He had all these people, all these men of valor working for him. He made devices to shoot arrows and large stones. He was an entrepreneur and creator. And if you turn with me to 2 Chronicles 16, excuse me, 26. You can see in verse 15, it says, In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Till he became strong. But when he was strong, his pride took over. He grew proud to his destruction, verse 16 tells us. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Something that they were not supposed to do. Only the priests were supposed to do that. So God finds it difficult to entrust prosperity to many of his people. One author says, sometimes prosperity can lead to pride like it did in this situation. When he got strong, he lifted up to his destruction, to his own destruction. One author calls him a type of antichrist. He started off as a good king. Another author believes that when Zechariah died, Uzziah was not so interested or eager to please God. There were two, there are two snares of Satan, right? Pride and fleshly lust. The king usurped the function of the chief priest and offered incense when he wasn't supposed to. He went against what God told him to do. He was prideful. So his prosperity led to pride and to his punishment. He had leprosy. You can read about it in verse 19 through 21. He had leprosy. He had to dwell in another house. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. He was smitten and had to be removed from public affairs, and he died a leper. Hmm. Started off good, ended up bad. And Herod the Great in our text, notice there's nothing in chapter 2 that describes Jesus himself. Matthew moves from implication to realization in his gospel. There are also several references to the Old Testament. Verses 5 and 6, Jesus' birth, 15, out of Egypt, I called my son, 17 through 18, a quote from Jeremiah. And then verse 23, he shall be called a Nazarene. Jesus was the promised Messiah foretold by the prophets. Chapter 1 was how Jesus' genealogy fulfilled Scripture, and chapter 2 is how his geography fulfilled Scripture. Chapter 2 also shows God's providential hand in caring for Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. Can you see God's providential hand in your own life? Just stop for a moment and just imagine you were driving down the road one day, who knows? You, you might have even driving to church this morning. God might have protected all of us from an accident. Can you, can you imagine? Can you see God's providential hand in your own life? Author Constable in his notes put it like this. There are several factors, however, that point to a time about a year after Jesus' birth. First, 
Matthew described Jesus as a child, not an infant. Second, Jesus' family was residing in a house, not beside a manger. Third, Herod's edict to destroy all the male children two years old and under, in verse 16, suggests that Jesus fell within this age span. Fourth, Joseph and Mary brought the offering of poor people to the temple when they dedicated Jesus about 40 days after his birth. But after receiving the Magi's gifts, they could have presented the normal offering. Fifth, Joseph and Mary's decision to return to Judea from Egypt in verse 22 implies that Judea is where they had lived before they took refuge in Egypt. Matthew carefully identified the Bethlehem of Judea in contrast to the Bethlehem in Zebulun as the birthplace of Jesus. This was important because the prophecy of Messiah's birthplace was specifically Bethlehem in in Judah, the hometown of King David, end quote. Herod, you know him, he was wealthy. He was loyal, he was politically astute, gifted. He was clever and a good administrator. I would say he was a good leader. Listen to this. Or or he was an effective, I don't want to use the word good, effective leader. You know, when I teach leadership, I I don't use the words good and bad because you can be a bad person and be an effective leader, Hitler. Effective, right? Even if you're doing bad things, you accomplish what you're doing. Herod was a good administrator. He had uh, great famine relief and building projects, including the temple in 20 B.C., He was admired by many, but was consumed with the love of power. Constable also wrote this, Herod inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people and resented the fact that many Jews considered him a usurper, which is one who takes a position of power illegally, right, or by force. Although a Jew in religion, some called him a heathen and a monster. Author Kingsbury wrote this, the self-same character traits Herod exhibits in chapter 2, the religious leaders will exhibit later in the story. To enumerate the most obvious of things, Herod shows himself to be spiritually blind, just like the religious folk, fearful, conspiratorial, guileful, which is sly or cunning, and mendacious, which is lying, murderous, wrathful, and apprehensive, of the future, just like the religious leaders. Herod was a killer. He's remembered for murdering babies. He sent word after being tricked by the wise men to kill all male children two years and younger. The scheme of the enemy to kill young men is still going on today. In reality, Herod's killing of boy babies might have only been about 20 in total, actually. At the time, Bethlehem had a very small population of only about 1,000 people. But he also killed several of his sons. Herod was a killer. I think Herod was curious. And like all, and like the other two kings I've described, I, I think that they had no peace. Herod was curious and had no peace. When he first heard about Jesus, he was troubled, but I think he was curious. If you remember Nicodemus, his story, right, in John, his curiosity sent him searching for Jesus, right, at night. 
We are not sure of Herod's heart at the time. I'm not going to speculate. Or I, or I didn't do enough study, either one. But we only speculate because of his actions, what he did. Some may believe his intent to find King Jesus was purely evil. And in his words about finding him and worshiping him, insincere. But were they? Who knows if they were or not? I think he was curious. He was evil, he was curious, and he had no peace. Some say his greatest achievement was building the temple in Jerusalem. Another author wrote, Herod died in 4 BC. Josephus recorded that he died a horrible death, his body rotting away and consumed by worms. He was buried in the Herodium, one of the palace fortresses that he had constructed not far from Bethlehem. His grandson, Herod Agrippa, later suffered a similar foe in Acts 12. I want to ask you some questions. Are you dominated by a false perspective? Write it down, think about it. Are you dominated by a false perspective like Rehoboam? Are you following the wrong advice? Are you putting God first? Are you prideful? Are you a killer of people's dreams and ambitions? What are you curious about? I'm wondering today what you're curious about. Where could that curiosity take you? To the cross, perhaps? Straight to Jesus? What could these three kings have done to rectify their situations? to do better, to be better, to be different. No, we're not shouting this morning. We're contemplating. What are the obstacles that keep us from the incarnation? What could they be in your life? Write them down. Disease, famine, heartache, greed, wrath, hurt feelings, poverty, family, your job, your career? What are the obstacles that keep us from the incarnation? What is holding you back from experiencing the God who moved into the neighborhood just to be with you? Other than the giving of yourself, the greatest gift you can give Jesus this Advent is all the obstacles keeping you from the incarnation. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to lay those obstacles at his feet. If there's anything, there's something probably in all of our lives that's keeping us from him, that there's an obstacle, there's a, a boyfriend, there's a girlfriend, there's a job, there's a, I'm mad at somebody. And if you're mad at somebody in this room, you ought to go apologize to them and forgive them if you need to, whatever you need to do, even today. Because I want this service, I want this time to be a healing time in your life. So I'm going to ask you again, and if you have paper, I want you to write it down. Don't put it in your phone. If you don't have paper, borrow some from somebody next to you. Now, Father, we give you honor and we give you praise. 
We thank you for what you've done in this place. All these little strips of paper, God, send them back to the pit of hell where they belong in the name of Jesus. We surrender these things to you, God. Every one of them, we surrender them to you, God. We stomp on them. We say these things will not keep us from you in the name of Jesus. They will not keep us from doing what you called us to do, God. They will not keep us from experiencing you, not just during this Advent season, but for the rest of our lives. They will not keep us or hinder us, God, from the progress of you from the incarnation. You moved into the neighborhood to be with us. You are always with us, no matter what we're going through. You are always with us. And God, we give you praise for that in the name of Jesus. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Somebody clap glad hands for Jesus. Amen.